Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Enter Pipeline's third quarter 2020 conference call and webcast. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Jeremy Roberge, Vice President, Finance and Investor Relations of Enter Pipeline. Please go ahead, Mr. Roberge. Thank you, Mary Emma, and good morning, everyone. On the call with me today are Chris Bale, Enter Pipeline's President and Chief Executive Officer, Brent Hankey, Chief Financial Officer, Jeff Marchant, Senior Vice President, Transportation, and Corey Neufeld, Vice President, NGL. On today's call, Chris will discuss recent developments and Brent will conclude with remarks on our Q3 2020 financial and operating performance. I would like to remind you that certain information on this conference call may, be, may contain forward-looking information that involves risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. Such information, although considered reasonable by Interpipeline at this time, may later prove incorrect and actual results may differ materially from those stated or implied by our comments today. Undue reliance should not be placed on such information. Discussion of related risk factors, uncertainties, and assumptions is available in our MDNA, which you can find on our website or at cedar.com. Please go ahead, Chris. Thanks, Jeremy, and good morning, everyone. It's been an active third quarter for Interpipeline with the advancement of a number of initiatives to move the business forward despite the economic environment and challenges presented by the pandemic. Yesterday, we announced the closing of the sale of the majority of our European bulk liquid storage business to the CLH Group. Proceeds from this transaction were 420 million pounds or approximately 715 million Canadian dollars before closing adjustments. The divestiture includes all storage assets residing within the UK, Ireland, Germany, and the Netherlands, totaling 15 terminals and approximately 18 million barrels of storage capacity. This transaction allows us to fully focus on developing our higher growth Canadian businesses. Proceeds will be used to strengthen our balance sheet by reducing debt and assist with internally financing our capital expenditure program, including the Heartland Petrochemical Complex. We will continue to own and operate approximately 19 million barrels of storage across eight terminals in Denmark and Sweden. Although the remaining assets are not part of our long-term asset portfolio, we expect to continue benefiting from the current strong storage demand. On September 28th, we announced the acquisition of the Milk River Pipeline System from Plains Midstream Canada in exchange for 100% the 100% owned Empress 2 and 50% owned Empress 5 straddle points. Interpipeline will also receive $35 million in cash proceeds as part of this transaction. Milk River assets connect directly to our Bow River Pipeline system to provide better access for Interpipeline and our customers to the Montana refining region. We expect to generate approximately $25 million of annual EBITDA from the Milk River system, including both tolling arrangements and midstream marketing activities. This transaction is expected to close in early 2021 following the completion of customary closing conditions and regulatory approvals. Finally, we continue to advance the process to secure a partner for a material interest in the Heartland Petrochemical Complex. We expect that work will continue into next year 
It will take into next year to conclude the process. However, there is no assurance that a transaction will be completed. In the interim, we continue to execute HPC on a standalone basis and remain highly focused on the construction as well as commercial and operational readiness activities. I am pleased to report that on-site productivity remains strong and the project continues to track according to the $4 billion revised budget and schedule and service date of early 2022. Now I'd like to turn things over to Brent to discuss our financial results. Please go ahead, Brent. Thanks, Chris, and good morning, everyone. During the third quarter of 2020, Interpipeline generated funds from operations of $196 million, or $0.46 cents per share, compared to $204 million, or $0.49 cents per share during the same period in 2019. Strong operating results generated from our oil sands, bulk liquid storage, and NDL processing segments were partially offset by conventional results, which continue to be impacted by the lower commodity price environment. In addition, quarterly results were impacted by higher up corporate costs, including approximately $9 million of one-time transaction fees relating to the partial sale of the bulk liquid storage business and a $9.6 million unrealized foreign exchange loss. Interpipeline's oil sands transportation business continues to provide stable cash flow supported by long-term cost-of-service contracts that are not materially impacted by throughput volume or commodity price fluctuations. This segment generated $155 million in FFO during the quarter, representing a $3 million increase compared to Q3, Q3 2019. Our conventional oil pipelines business generated quarterly FFO of $32 million versus $40 million in the comparable quarter of 2019. The decrease is a result of the weaker commodity price environment during the quarter, which reduced throughput to 160,000 barrels per day and impacted midstream marketing activities. Although FFO has decreased relative to Q3 2019, conventional results improved from the second quarter of 2020 as volume increased by approximately 20,000 barrels per day. Moving to the NGL processing segment, FFO for the quarter was 51 million compared to 46 million in Q3 2019. The 10% increase is primarily a result of higher paraffinic frac spread pricing and lower operating costs. Operationally, Redwater sales volumes of 31,700 barrels per day represented a 22% increase over the prior period. Volumes were positively impacted by lower turnaround activity at Pioneer 1 and 2, as well as lower third-party upgrader maintenance activity and unplanned shutdowns. Cochrane Inlet volumes were also strong at 2.1 billion cubic feet per day during the third quarter. Fourth quarter inlet volumes are expected to be impacted as a result of maintenance activities with October inlet volumes of approximately 1.6 billion cubic feet per day expected to trend upwards throughout the quarter. Our bulk liquid storage business generated 36 million in FFO during Q3 2020, representing a 19% increase over the comparable period in 2019. The increase is a direct result of higher demand for oil product storage, particularly in Denmark. On a consolidated basis, utilization rates averaged 99% during the third quarter, and we anticipate strong utilization rates to continue throughout 2020. Turning to the balance sheet, Interpipeline remains committed to maintaining financial flexibility. As at September 30th, we have invested $2.9 billion on the Heartland Chemical Complex with approximately $1.1 billion remaining. We are well positioned to fund the project on a standalone basis with $2.1 billion of undrawn committed credit capacity, internally generated cash flow, and proceeds from the majority sale of our bulk liquid storage business. 
We also ended the quarter with a net debt to total capitalization ratio of 44.5%, which is significantly below our maximum bank covenant level of 65%. So this concludes the formal portion of our conference call, and I would now like to turn the meeting back to Mary Emma to open the floor for questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Linda Ezergalis with TD Securities. Your line is open. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you can help us understand your initial thoughts about the Alberta uh, incentive program as it relates to petrochemicals uh, that's been introduced and um, how Interpipeline might capitalize on that um, uh, and how that evolves your thinking on potential uh, initiatives in the future as well. well that's a good question, Linda, and good morning. Um, you know, first off, I think we'd, we'd definitely like to applaud the government's efforts in this regard. We think it's a very sensible and interesting program for spurring further petrochemical investment in, in Alberta. The fact that it has a structured and logical approach, and it's not based on any particular window for applications, it's a, it's a multi-year program, um, makes it uh, very competitive with other jurisdictions in North America. So regarding our view, you know, first off, of course, we're looking at it uh, closely in regards to our Heartland Petrochemical Complex and how um, it may or may not uh, play a role uh, in regard to that project. And also, it certainly makes uh, other future petrochemical investments, um, improves the economics of them because, you know, that's a, a meaningful reduction in essentially offsetting capital, in capital spend in Alberta. Uh, if we can qualify for that, what is about you know 12 percent um, rent based off of uh, certain aspects of capital, and that uh, could materially improve economics in the future. So, um, I, I think that's generally our view on the on the process, and uh, and we see it as a big positive. Good, and uh, maybe um, I realize that. Um, uh, there's a lot of moving parts to uh, progressing on your various work streams for HPC, but can you comment on uh, any progress or any change in emphasis in your contracting and when you might be in a position to uh, share um, uh, more details around that with us? Well, I guess I can just make two simple points. We, we continue to successfully progress the contracting and we don't have anything to say today in regards to the specifics around the contracting due to the much talked about um, competitiveness we're trying to create around the overall contracting program. So um, Linda, it's steady as she goes. We continue to move forward. Okay. And uh, maybe just specifically on your NGL business, can you comment on what you're seeing in terms of forward pricing and how you might think of uh, uh, hedging uh, over the next little while, if at all, uh, given what you're seeing? Sure, Linda, it's Go ahead, Jeremy. Okay, thanks. I've got those uh, forward curves here. 
Uh, for the balance of 2020, which is obviously not a lot left, we're looking at these are Cochrane frac spreads about 41 cents, and that's U.S. Uh, cents per U.S. gallon. For 2021, the full calendar year, you're looking at around 38 cents. Again, U.S. cents per U.S. gallon, and currently we're around 40 cents. Again, U.S. cents per U.S. gallon. Uh, Corey, did you have any other uh, comments on that? Oh, that's good, Jeremy. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Our next question comes from Jeremy Tonnet with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Hi, this is Joe on for Jeremy. Wanted to ask again on uh, Heartland, and I understand some of the commercial um, contracts are, are you're not able to disclose at this time, but more, I guess, on the ramp and what, you know, I, I guess, what should we expect with what the infrastructure can handle? Um, will the faci facility have the, the infrastructure to run kind of near full capacity at its initial completion, or will that kind of increase over time? Well, all the infrastructure will, will definitely be in place at startup, but with these sort of complicated integrated facilities, there there is a a significant ramp up period. First, you want to arrive at some sort of safe, stable operating level, and then steadily increase from there, which is typical for all facilities of this nature. So, we'll provide more transparency in 2021 on how we view the ramp up profile for HBC. Okay, that makes sense. And then just to follow up with that, I guess if if IPL markets any of it themselves, um, would they would you need to enter into any kind of contracts for rail? Um, have have you guys looked at, at that at this point, or is it still kind of too early there? Oh no, um, we we have all of our rail arrangements. Uh, in place today. That's definitely something you wouldn't want to leave to the last minute. So we we are uh, connected to the CN, uh, sorry, the CP rail network, and we are also can inter-switch with pretty much all uh, North American uh, rail providers uh, at various locations throughout North America. Okay, that's helpful. And then if I can ask just one more, just trying to gauge the impact of the, the recent um, bulk liquid storage sale as well as the asset swap with planes. I know you mentioned, I guess, 2019 EBITDA for bulk liquid storage, but anything you can say about, I guess, what the, the assets sold contributed in the third quarter or, or thus far this year, and, and also anything you can say related to kind of an EBITDA impact from the, the asset swap with planes. Um, well, it's Brent Hagee here. I'll talk about the bulk liquid storage and I'll let someone else talk about the asset swap. but. Um, I, I think there's some numbers out there for at least around uh, the, the Nordics assets that we are retaining, and I think um, there's around a $40 million EBITDA, but it was when we had about an 82% utilization rate. Um, so today we're at 99%. So I'll let you do the math from there. So it's obviously, you know, the Nordics are going to be contributing north of that number uh, on a go-forward basis. So I'll just make a comment, you know, as we head into 21, Certainly, um, the Nordic assets are performing quite well. This largely has to do with uh, IMO 2020, but also, too, we did see a contango, certainly strong contango markets a while back, 
and our folks over there were able to, you know, lock in some contracts well into 21. So, you know, the remaining business, it looks pretty positive as we head into 2021. Got it. And then okay. Sorry, Sorry it's Jeff here. I can just comment quickly on the uh, the planes transaction, the uh, the plan here for us to take on owner and operation of the Milk River assets. We're currently expecting annual EBITDA of around 25 million, and that's made up of both uh, tolling revenue as well as uh, midstream marketing activity. So that gives you a flavor of what what we expect out of that asset. Thank you. Um, and, and sorry, just one clarification on that. That $40 million you mentioned for bulk liquid storage, is that, and was that, that's the the retained assets, um, yeah. right? And that's $40 million Canadian? Yes. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Catellier with CIBC. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I just wanted to uh, start with um, uh, <laughs> the increase in COVID cases we've seen here generally, uh, you know, across the population, and whether that's had any impact on uh, productivity at HPC or if that's uh, factoring into uh, either the partnering process or uh, contracting. Uh, morning, Rob. It's Chris. Uh, I'll take that one. Um, well, you, you know, I guess COVID managing our COVID on site overall has, it certainly has had an impact on the project. A meaningful chunk of the incremental $500 million that we're estimating uh, to spend on the project, about $150 million of that is just, is our COVID management mitigation expenditures and an estimate for, um, um, I would say, a rather modest drop in overall productivity on site. So, uh, that but that said, you know, I remain very, very pleased with how our teams and our contractors have managed their way through this difficult environment. Productivity is astoundingly high on site. We're, we're at about 3,000 people. Our mitigation efforts for COVID are working. We've had no um, verified cases of on-site transmission of COVID. And we remain confident that we're going to uh, be able to manage our way through through these difficult times, even as cases ramp up. So, um, so fingers crossed, but things are, are looking contained. When it comes to um, the other question, I, I think was around uh, contracting, was it? And yeah, there's a COVID. Yeah, I had partnering. Partnering. Um, you know, I don't. Th certainly, when it comes to the partnering, um, it, it, this is a. It does create a different dynamic, you know, just just from a logi logistical, excuse me, uh, standpoint. You know, usually you'll have management presentations and site visits uh, are, you know, obviously extremely important for, for these types of processes. That becomes logistically a, a bit more challenging in this environment, particularly when we we literally have have um, participants from around the world interested in this this process. So, but we'll we'll manage through that. Um, but it does add a bit of, I would say, a bit more time to the process than we otherwise might be expected, but we're planning for that. When it comes to contracting, no, we don't. There's, there's no impact uh, COVID has on that process. Okay, so just to confirm then, uh, th I think this press release for the earnings was the first time you had a uh, date associated with um, 
trying to contract like some first half of 2021. Uh, previously, I don't think there was a date, but you were talking about at least into the early part of 2021. So effectively, uh, there's no real change then to your to your timeline expectations. No, we weren't trying to signal anything. We were just trying right. to clear that I think it would be sometime in the first six months rather than just vague, vaguely speaking to 2021. Okay, and then um, I, I think if I understand correctly from the presentation, you're 70% the risk at this point on HPC. Is there a year in target? And is the path to get there simply productivity at the site or is there something else? No, it's just productivity at site. You know, we're... Um, Maybe a better way to describe it, you can kind of picture it a little better. Like we, we intend to be mechanically complete at PDH, which is by far the more complex of the two plants by late spring next year. So it's, it's coming up very quick. And then PP will follow uh, um, in later in 2021. So uh, this project is, is getting into the final stages. Okay, it sounds like uh, things are going well there. So just one last question for me. It's just on the uh, propane side. Um, as you're aware, we've seen a slowdown of production in the province, and uh, there are new sources of demand um, coming from those export terminals. So I, has that had any impact on um, contract negotiations with producers or on margin expectations for spot bonds? No, actually, the, you know, a, Honestly, we don't consider ex the West Coast exports as demand. That's just additional export capacity. It's no different from the export capacity that's in the Gulf. It's just a, it's just a different location. And the price, the price points between those two uh, export locations um, aren't that material. The, the material, the differences aren't that material. So we're looking at, you know, Edmonton propane prices today are are lower than the historical averages we've seen since the Koshin pipeline reversal. And, you know, when there was, maybe I'll speak a bit to the, the polypropylene versus Edmonton propane spread. You know, they were, um, they took a, a pounding in Q2. I remember sitting in this room on the Q2 call, and I think the, the number is slightly under 1,000 U.S. dollars per ton. Well, just wait. Just wait a few months. They're now back up to about 30% to just over $1,300 a ton, which is right in line with historical averages. So the, the margins are strong. Okay. Thanks for those answers. Your next question comes from Robert Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Good morning. Um, just starting with the Alberta petrochemical program just with your experience with Heartland to date how's that uh, impacted your desire or approach to building more petrochemical facilities whether that be the, the acrylic acid facility or, or something else well I, I think it, it's just frankly it's just um, another enhancement it just provides more transparency and certainty to a project proponent like ourselves in terms of how to look at the long-term economics of a petrochemical investment, which which is great. You know, again, I just like my earlier comments. I really applaud the government for putting such a sensible structure around these sorts of investments, which which are going to be a big deal for Alberta over, over the coming decades. So, in, you know, I, other than that, you know, our approach remains the same. We are to reiterate 
highly focused on the completion and commercial operations of Heartland. That is our, our primary commercial focus right now, and any future investments we'll, we'll talk about in due course. And are you just in terms of your experience with Heartland, um, you know, the construction, the contracting, would that change if you pursued another petrochemical facility, how you would approach, whether it's partnership, funding, uh, contracting, or would it be very similar to, you know, you happy with kind of how Heartland is proceeded here? Well, <laughs> I, I would say um, our views have definitely, call it, evolved, I guess, on how to approach contracting and financing when it comes to these sort of major investments. The, uh, you know, the world can be extremely volatile as the last few years have been out here, especially when you have a long build that uh, the company has to work through. So if you're asking me, would we construct while contracting another facility like Heartland? I think the answer would be no. The contracts come first. When it comes to the execution, the physical execution, um, I wouldn't change a thing with how our project execution teams have operated here. Our, no, the execution has been first class. We have, we have first class safety performance, the productivity has been high, and uh, I'm very confident in our team's capabilities there. When it comes to financing, um, yeah, you know, obviously, there's a variety of approaches you can take when you're financing large projects. If it's something like an acrylic acid plant that's, you know, frankly, not that expensive, you know, five, six hundred million dollars, that's relatively easy to finance. If you're approaching multi-billion dollar projects, then, then obviously partnering at the gate um, makes, can make some sense. We'll just continue to evolve our thinking in that regard. Perfect. Um, just a finer kind of, I don't know if this was just a nuance or something was intended, but just in the, the HPC Outlook section, in the second quarter report, you noted that absent a partnership, you'd pursue it under a self-funding um, model. And in this quarter, the whole self-funding model wording's been dropped. Is that just because you've closed your storage or is there something else behind that? Um, no, we certainly weren't intending to signal anything there. We've got with the now the closure of the European transaction, we've got a, nearly three billion worth of capacity. So we clearly can operate under a self-funding model to complete Heartland. Perfect. And then just to finish on conventional pipelines, appreciate the color on the sequential improvement. Just wondering what you've seen quarter to date. Has that followed through uh, in terms of just you know continued improvement in volumes on on your systems? Yeah, Rob, it's Jeff here. We are are continuing to see growth. Um, you know, I think our low was back in May. We we're probably about 30% down from what we exited 2019. Right now, we're we've recovered to being about 10% down. And, and in fact, in October, just finishing, we're we're just approaching 168, 69,000 barrels a day. So we are uh, continuing on that path, albeit a little bit. Um, slower than what we probably talked about back in Q2, but it is heading in the right direction. That's great. Appreciate the color. Thank you. Your next question comes from Andrew Kuski with Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, just on HPC, you've you spent $2.9 billion to date. You've got $1.1 to go. Uh, within that amount, how much is a contingency amount? 
within your budget? How much buffer do you have? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, we've never spoken publicly about the, the level of contingency. I, I guess what I can say is we're quite comfortable that we have um, a reasonable amount of contingency left in that number for the current level of completion in the project. Okay, and and then I mean you mentioned you know the all the heavy lifting that's going on on the PDH side of it, which is the more complicated side, and that's you know coming to late spring completion in a mechanical sense. Could you give us a bit of guidance as far as your capex expectations into twenty one? Sorry, can you repeat that question again? It, it, it's really the quarterly run rate on how do you anticipate the capex looking the one point one to go. How is that going to be skewed over over 21 and every really Q4 to, to 21? Well, you know, if um, if you just wait a month, we're going to put out our uh, some guidance on our capital spend for for 2021 across the company. Okay, fair fair enough. And then maybe just different direction, just on um, you know, the residual storage business that you have. Do you have a process that's ongoing for the sale of, of that business? Um, no, we currently don't. Um, so, you know, we, I think we've, we've been telling everybody that, um, you know, we're going to retain this business for now, but it is still non-core to us. So we'll uh, see how things proceed and, you know, we'll be able to get the, the EBITDA uh, from that business, which is, you know, it's looking pretty positive, as I mentioned before in my comments. Um, but, you know, at some point in time, we do anticipate uh, selling those assets in the future, but we do not have a formal process ongoing right now. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, so just to follow up on the contracting front for HBC, and I, I appreciate not wanting to uh, disclose anything until the search for a partner is complete by say the middle of next year but I just wanted to confirm that you are expecting to disclose what percentage of your EBITDA guidance is locked in with contracts at at some point before commissioning or is there a, a scenario where we could you know get to early 2022 HPC is online and we still don't have visibility on how much capacity is spoken for no we we have we we have committed that we will either um, disclose once we hit the at least the lower level of our targeted uh, contracting, which is 70%, or when the project goes into service. We'll provide that transparency. Perfect. Okay. Thanks. Um, and then just on the asset swap with planes, uh, obviously there's still a big counterparty for you uh, on the NGL front. So just curious, any other opportunities to optimize? Your commercial arrangements with them, or ownership of assets over the coming years. Sorry, your question is regarding is it specifically planes? Yeah, with planes, and uh, you know, I guess I'm thinking, you know, obviously at Cochrane, um, the commercial contract there, and you know, maybe you could speak to, you know, the the potential to expand Cochrane at some point. Um, there's a little bit of tail risk, obviously, with some some West Coast cities banning natural gas, and you know, maybe you can comment as well on whether or not this tail risk 
causes you to take a pause on this expansion or does that bring an opportunity um, to the table for planes to, to take a little bit of that expansion? Um, well, I think in, in terms of you know physical assets, we've we've made the moves that are you know beneficial for both planes and us. So we think we think that's kind of done and dusted now. Uh, regarding co uh, expansions at Cochrane, you know our our, our big fo focus, Pat, is is the how it, whether it's fee-based cash flow or commodity cash flow. We're we're far more focused. On creating anchoring an expansion of Cochrane under a fee-based arrangement than any other method, and until we can find a methodology that gets us there, we're likely to sit on the sidelines with Cochrane expansion, even though the volumes are there to, uh, to underpin one. Got it. Okay, that's great, Chris. Thanks. Your next question comes from Pranith Satish with Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Thanks. Uh, good morning. Um, if you don't if you don't find a partner by the end of H121, uh, would you be open to finding a partner after HBC is up and running in 2022 and the cash flow uh, is more visible, or should we assume if you, if you don't find a partner, then you're uh, you're basically inclined to manage the project solo into the foreseeable future? Well, I think our motivation to have a partner would certainly be different uh, once the the project is in service. So uh, you know you never you never close the door, but again I think the motivation is is clearly uh, um, at a different level at that point. Got it. Uh, and then can you just maybe talk from a high level about your willingness to contract less than the targeted seventy percent, leave a greater portion of HPC for your marketing group? I think um, you know as you mentioned the. Uh, Polypropylene margins are solid, and there's there's strong demand here uh, for polypropylene because of PPE gloves and the like. You know we're we're an energy infrastructure company, so contracting the cash flow is our top priority, and we're more than willing to give up uh, a piece of a piece of the pie to accomplish that cash flow stability, no matter what the margin is. Got it. That's it for me. Thank you. Your next question comes from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Morning, everyone. Um, just a follow-up question on Heartland. As we take a look at 2021, what are the kind of key milestones you're looking for there? And you know, with the PDH mechanically complete in the spring, you know, when do you think you'll start to meaningfully put some propane in there? And then I guess also how will you treat the PDH on the other side? Or sorry, the uh, the propylene on the other side? Well, the way we view, um, call it the quote-unquote gap between mechanical completion of the two facilities, is that uh, the bigger, bigger the gap, the more opportunity for a, for a you know, very prudent commissioning process. So we're not, we're not focused on trying to produce uh, propylene, call it quote-unquote early. We're more focused on making sure we line out the PDH plant that's as sensibly as possible so that when both plants uh, go into service in early 2022, we get a good, stable, meaningful operating rate out of the gate. All right, that's helpful. Uh, and then, you know, how do you, how are you looking at the royalty credits uh, given to you by the government? You know, how would you look to monetize that? Would you look to do it over a number of years or, or something more upfront? Well, one of the 
really nice benefits of this new program the Alberta government has just rolled out at the end of last month is that we have an opportunity to roll the um, PDP credits that we have for P the PDH plant into the new program. And it changes from a royalty credit to essentially a, a cash payment. And therefore, there's no leakage, leakage, potential leakage in terms of having to monetize a royalty credit. So that that's uh, it's you know it might be a modest benefit, but it's a benefit nonetheless. So we don't have any issues now regarding how how to manage a royalty credit if we indeed decide to roll uh, PD, uh, PDP credits into the new program. That's helpful. Thank you. Your next question comes from Ben Sam with BMO. Your line is open. All right, thanks. Uh, I had a question going back to the Heartland, and uh, I'm wondering, can you comment on the liquidity of, of the hedging polypropylene or even even the propane side of things I mean, in, in the event where there's a range of contracting 70 to 85%? Um, is there a way to, to de-risk those cash flows in a way where you can, you can hedge out a a relatively long, long dated strip. Well, the, the, there certainly is a liquid market for both. So yes, you you can hedge that spread. Um, you know, it's not obviously it's not like a currency hedge where you can't go out um, many many years. But I, off the top of my head, what Corey, what is a hedge? How deep is the hedge market for propane? Year to eighteen months, maybe. Yes. Yeah, I believe eighteen months. Yeah. And uh, I, off the top of my head, Ben, I couldn't say how. How long you could go on the PP side, but it's it's probably something similar, if not a bit longer. Okay, is, is the PP side uh, just just lack lack my ignorance here? I mean, is it, it would would it be um, uh, priced at WTI as as a correlation, or is there actually a pretty pretty active uh, market out there? Oh, it's an active market. There's you know eight eight um, is there eight thousand kilotons a year of of, of PP is consumed in North America. So there, there is an index directly for that commodity. Okay. And uh, you mentioned earlier too around uh, having Apple uh, logistics capability to the market, the product, uh, the rails and, and whatnot. Uh, does that also um, apply in a situation where maybe your contracted percentage doesn't get to the 70, 85% of it? If it's lower, do you need to invest in more storage facilities or other logistics uh, assets to, to to capture a spread there? No. Yeah, the way to think about it, Ben, is we're we're gonna be Interpipe's gonna be tasked with with marketing of the vast majority of the actual physical pellets day in and day out. The the contracting is irrelevant compared to how you physically uh, put the, the pellets into the marketplace. So all the transportation, logistics, the the um, and the sales points around uh, North America, all that kind of infrastructure will be in place, uh, regardless of whether we're contracted one level or or fully contracted. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, and uh, the interesting swap of Milk River and and whatnot. I mean, is there? Is there any other sort of interesting opportunities like that where it's our asset swap and more modest transactions that you can that you're seeing out there? Not really. You know that the Milk River one. You know where uh, you know we acknowledge it's not this isn't massively material stuff, 
But it, it is a very good, sensible transaction for both planes and us. And in fact, you know, this is something that we've been talking about for a very long time. It just took now to kind of crystallize the right environment to make it happen. And uh, we don't see a lot of other opportunities like that in front of us on the Milk River Empress deal we just completed. Okay. All right, thank you very much. There are no further questions. I will now turn the call back over to Jeremy Roberge for closing remarks. Great, well, thank you. And uh, thank you everyone for participating on our conference call today. We certainly look forward to discussing our fourth quarter 2020 results with you on February the 12th, 2021. Uh, thank you and goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.